Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly, and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a great guest. I think that on the episode that we're going to be really having today, we're going to be learning a lot about really jumping from one thing to another, really developing an expertise, a skill set, a, a desire, an interest, and, and taking it to the next level and in different, different ways and different flavors. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Martin Lindman. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So born in Sweden, right outside of Stockholm. So how was life growing up there? Uh, I mean, it was good. Sweden is a, is a great country to grow, grow up in and the great opportunities to do. I, I spend most of my time as a, as, a, as a young person, individual, doing sports, basically. That was, that was my whole childhood. Obviously, this was tennis and hockey. So how did you really get so competitive so early on? I don't know. It was uh, it was very early on. I started ice skating when I was three years old, which is uh, even for in Sweden, it's fairly young. And then I started with tennis when I was uh, six years old, and I, I I did multiple sports, and, and I just it was natural to me, and that's what I wanted to do. And I uh, very competitive very early on. So then, in this case. Obviously, you continued and you really took it very seriously. I mean, in fact, you went to university and you were still playing hockey and, and you ended up really becoming a professional hockey player. So tell us about this. Yeah, I, I, that, that's true. I mean, I, I did play all the way up. I played tennis uh, on a serious level as a junior in Sweden. I was uh, uh, among the elite in, in, as a junior. Uh, but hockey was always the, the, the sport where I felt like I... I, I could really compete and where I felt that was that was my strong suit and and but it didn't really take off uh, so I I thought that I really I also wanted to study so I went to university in Uppsala uh, but right around my uh, university uh, study I became a professional I, I turned pro uh, I was 21 at the time uh, or, or 20 when I turned professional and my first year was I was 21 and I I got a contract uh, playing in, in the German professional league. Um, and then the hockey after that just basically took off. And I had uh, 12 amazing years playing uh, outside Sweden and uh, played in the elite league here in Sweden for, for quite a few years. And I, 
I also got the uh, privilege uh, to play for the Swedish national team for two years and uh, and all in all a fairly decent ice hockey career. So obviously here you definitely took your con competitive spirit to the next level. Uh, and I'm wondering how that competitive spirit, you know, also has perhaps shaped you as an entrepreneur too. I, I think it's my core. It's, it's the essence of me. And I, I, a lot of people talk about being competitive, uh, but it's, it's competitive to me doesn't mean that I get really mad when I'm losing. Uh, that's not the essence of what I see being a competitor. Uh, for me, it's all about the ambition of striving further. I mean, I, I sometimes I, I'm, I'm happy. I can understand I'm taking a loss or things are not going my way. And it's all about understanding that I, I, I don't want to sit still. I, I keep on moving on. I, I keep on to build. I, I want to challenge myself. I want to challenge my surroundings. I want the surrounding to, to really dig down and, and, and challenge uh, me and, and taking the opportunity that is out there. And, and that's, that's what I feel it's being competitive. And, and I think that's my core. So in, in your case, obviously the, the hockey journey, you know, definitely was very extensive. I mean, we're talking about 12 years going back and forth from Germany and, and, and to Sweden and from Sweden back to Germany and then obviously Germany back to Sweden. So after the 12 years, you find yourself, you know, really hockey is over. So what's next? I mean, how did you go through that transition to really identify what kind of life you wanted to really, you know, carve out for, for yourself? Sure. And, and it wasn't it wasn't that that the hockey just erupt came to a halt or, or I ended my career. It was more in the sense that I felt like I I came to the end of how I could challenge myself. I knew I was to too old to to progress to playing on the, the NHL, the National Hockey League. Uh, and I played in the Elite League. I played in Europe. I played on the national team. I, I kind of felt that I needed to do something else. I was only 32 years at the time. There was no injuries. I, I could keep playing but i felt like i wanted to come back to school i want to educate myself i wanted to do something else and then i played in uh, sweden for the team here in, in stockholm um, called eurogordon and uh, i got the opportunity to to study at stockholm uh, business school i did that for a while and then uh, from there I, i i got the opportunity right off to to start working for uh, a bank here in, in stockholm Uh, I thought that was interesting due to the fact that I, I, w I wanted to understand the, the the financial aspects. I wanted to understand that the, the banking industry and and uh, uh, but I only I only uh, stayed there for a year because I I felt like I wanted to do something myself. I still had that drive, and I, it wasn't so much that I wanted to go into an employment. Uh, I keep I I keep wanted to push myself, and then. And uh, after just only a year, I had the opportunity together with my dad, uh, once they changed the system of, of Swedish healthcare, uh, and from, for, for the first time here in Sweden, there was a possibility to launch private uh, care units, like clinics. And uh, me and my dad set that up, and, and, and we start working on it. And, and for me, he has a long history within Swedish healthcare, so for him it was very natural. And, and for me, it was more of a challenge to, 
to set up the infrastructure around that that company and and try together with him scale it. And we did that for a couple of years together. And then my dad retired and he was older and, and, and wanted to, you know, to, to slow down. And I kept doing it and turned out that we, I scaled up to, to five clinics around Sweden and got a fairly good idea of how we are uh, executing and driving uh, primary care. And, and in the beginning, I had no experience. I didn't, I mean, I'm brought up in a family and, and uh, with a long history with the Swedish healthcare, but for me as an individual, it was all about the learning experience in the beginning. And it was exciting. It was exciting in the beginning to feel like that I was a little bit out of place. I needed to be humble to understand that I, I dealt with people that, that, that obviously been in this environment and, and work in this industry for their entire lives, educated, smart people. And I found myself in the opportunity to, to scale a company. And uh, we did a couple of good things. We did a couple of bad things. But all over, we learned a lot about uh, how healthcare is run and how people are consuming healthcare. So in this case, I mean, how, how did you guys go about Because, I mean, you went from one to five. And, and I assume that there was a lot of cost to involve. So, I mean, the, how did you guys capitalize the the operation? How did you finance it? Yeah, and and that's exactly, that's the truth. And and it's, it's two uh, almost separate environments. One is the healthcare industry because that's, the, that's what we're working in. That's the industry we're working in. But it's equally an industry to just understand how to scale a company, how to recruit, attract uh, capital, how you scale your business, what's your angle, what's your, what, what's your value proposition to the market, all those things was, uh, at the end of the day, it was a crash course to understanding what to do and not to do. As I said, I, I learned tremendous on both those sides. So in this case, I mean, once your father retired, I mean, you obviously scaled this up to five clinics, and then you ended up selling four clinics, four of the five. So why did you sell four out of the five and not all the five? And then also, why in first place did you decide to sell? Um, we, as I said, we did a couple of good things and we did a couple of bad things. But what I learned with the physical care units was that it was very difficult to scale. I didn't really have the financial backings of scaling them the way I wanted to scale them. I also learned that there was no really synergies between physical care units. Like I had one clinic that worked really well and I had another one that didn't work so well. There was very little synergy between the two of them and, and very little interactions. So uh, I got the, uh, the end of the day, I felt like uh, we needed to move on. And I had this one clinic that was fairly young, uh, that was in the city center of Uppsala, Centrum Kliniken. And I felt, uh, let's, let's keep that one. And we sold the other four and um, just basically tried to look at the next venture of what we wanted to do. I still felt like I wanted to be in healthcare, but I didn't feel like, I didn't want to scale physical units the way I thought that I wanted it in the beginning. And uh, it turned out that it was a fairly smart move to do that way. And in this case, obviously, you were you started having some discussions. And some of those discussions ended up really uh, being the segue you know, for, for your next business, which would be Dr. SE. So... So tell us about those discussions and, and how you essentially ended up bringing this new idea to life. 
Yeah, I I, uh, I sold it and uh, driving five clinics down to one and, and having an organization operation that was fairly self-sufficient. I felt like from one day to another, I have a lot of time on my hands. And I think uh, I, I spoke to one of my friends that, you know, we talked a little bit about the next venture and, and what would be interesting to do. And he's, he, he told me that he had, a friend that I didn't know about, like that, that was interested in in healthcare in the space, had didn't have any knowledge, didn't work within the space, but had some other interesting backgrounds that could be applicable to healthcare. So he wanted us to meet, and that's what we did. And that's uh, Svante Tegnia and my co-founder, Doctor Doctor C. And we started out with a lunch, and and he kind of went straight to it and said that. He was very early on within retail, started the, uh, a clothing company here in Sweden, uh, all the way back when people thought he was crazy of uh, just uh, no, people thought he, no one would ever buy clothes online and get into the kind of mailbox. And that was crazy. That was just a crazy idea. And all the way up to that we know today what retail is. And uh, he sold his company and now wanted to move into the next kind of market that he felt was being interesting. And everyone at the time here in Sweden, this is 2016, early 2016, talked about digital healthcare. And, and there was all two young companies on the market already, which was Cree uh, and Min Doctor. And we start talking about the digitalization of healthcare in general. And we had we had a four four to five months really intense discussions about what we thought and i was very driven from the system side of healthcare and understanding that we need to create something that is a value to the entire ecosystem otherwise why would we do it and uh, swanton and obviously very driven as a b2c entrepreneur understanding that at the end of the day it's the end users that are gonna download a f- app use the app and it's all about the value proposition to that end user that's going to kind of make or break your service or what you put out there so after four to five months we finally came to a this is what we should do and it was a pivotal moment in those discussions because they were not always eye to eye it was more more of the time was was a huge argument of the way we looked at things and then uh, we had that pivotal moment within the, the discussion. And, and since then, that's still been the, the hardcore DNA of Dr. Dr.C. And me and Svante still today are very, very much in line of what we think it's the long-term vision for what we wanted to do and what's going to happen. And we felt like we... If even scratched the surface of what we could do and the potential of this market. So then what ended up being the business model of Doctor? Well, we, we figured out that we, we scaled back to look at the, the whole entire ecosystem and, and, and pinpointed three major uh, key opponent uh, stakeholders in the ecosystem. And we knew that we need to cater to all three of them because if we didn't, we felt like we wouldn't be able to scale. We will get stale very quick. And we looked at it from the system point of view and understood that healthcare is a little bit different than, than retail because at the end of the day, yes, it's the patients that's going to download this app and they're going to use it. But in most countries and in most uh, markets, it's not the end user 
that is paying for it. It's even the, it's either the government, it's either the insurance company, or it's the company that pays for this for their employees. So, so we see in some countries in Sweden, in particular, we see a little small uh, copay that patients pay themselves. But other than that, it's someone else that pays for the healthcare. So we really needed to cater towards the healthcare industry, and that's what that's basically the essence of Dr. Dattasi. And then on top of things, we knew that we could come up with a strong value proposition to the, the to the patients, and that's something that we we're working on that we're still getting better and better at, and we're really creating that brand name into the market that feel people feel secure of understanding that I can ask and I can reach out to Dr. Dottasi no matter what my healthcare-related issues are. And then the, the, the third component here, which is the clinical staff, understanding that, yes, we're a tech company and we're scaling on the solution that we can create digitally. But at the end of the day, it's doctor, nurses, psychologists that treating these patients. So yeah, we're creating a system that makes it easier. We're stirring volumes. We're creating functionalities, but it's people treating people. So at the end of the day, it's still a service that we're providing, and we need to become the best company to track the best physicians. So then, obviously, for for this company, you know, you guys needed a little bit of money to scale things up. So how how much capital have you guys raised to date for Doctor? I'm not 100% sure exactly what it boils down to. It's right around... uh, 70 to 80 million euro. So almost or close dollar. to 100 million, no? Like if you put it in dollars, probably like around 90 yeah, something. Somewhere along that, a little bit less, but but yeah, I would say around there, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting how, obviously in the US, you know, if you were to compare to, to Europe, it's not, it's not as easy in Europe to go past a Series A because the the funds don't have enough cash to continue supporting the companies as they mature and they go from financing cycle to financing cycle. I mean, I'm originally from Spain and there, obviously, the, the largest fund is probably like 100 million. That's, that's pretty much it. So, so many of those companies end up needing to come to the U.S., and really doing that, uh, that that jump on the Atlantic is not that easy. So, so I guess, Martin, for you guys, in order to really raise this kind of money, you know, being in Sweden, I mean, how was that journey for you guys? I do agree to some extent, but I think that, that it, a lot of things change as well. We see a lot of we see a lot of capital being deployed in Europe, and there's there's starts creating some huge funds even in Europe that could really cater to 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 the journey that 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 a lot of companies doing. But that wasn't the case for us because. We, we, from day one, we took a different approach to this market because we felt like, first of all, we weren't first into the market. We have a diff- we had a different approach, but we're still in the same space and we still did fairly much the same thing as the others, but with, with you know, with different twists towards it and we scaled differently. We had a different tonality in, into to the public eye, but it, it was in the same space. So we start talking very early on on, on sustainability and, and unit economics and being uh, you know aiming for the positive result and and really being you know basing the company on what we're performing not scaling on vc funding and preferential structure and 
scaling the company on high valuation, good or bad, that's, that was the approach we took in the beginning, a little bit because also we didn't have the opportunity to say that we were first out of the gate and we didn't attract the, you know, the, the, the high VC C fundings in the beginning. So we did it on, on, on angel investors. We did it on private individuals in the beginning, but very wealthy individuals that, that kind of uh, ride with us in the beginning all the way up to basically what we did just before the summer this year when we did our C round and raised 50 million euro. And, and even then, majority of that investment was still individuals uh, that, that had deep pockets, uh, family funds and, and private individuals that, that, uh, uh, that became shareholders. So um, we haven't attracted the industrials investors so far within Dr. Dottesi. And I think we're, we're, we're proven concept that it's doable without structuring the company of getting into the hands of, of the professional industrial investors with, with the preferential structures and so forth, because we didn't at that time felt comfortable on gambling on the valuation and, and, and kind of leave, leave it up to, to the invest, investors to take us, take us at that point. Um, and I think now we're kind of past the, the stage of, of attracting that kind of capital. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what's the next steps going to be for us. So obviously now with COVID, I mean, it's incredible how, you know, now on the on the cover of newspapers and magazines, you know, you start to see doctors and nurses, which is not what people were used to, you know, really seeing. So I'm sure that this has perhaps uh, pushed a little bit the business and being at the right time in history. This is really terrible to say because the, the pandemic it, it hit so hard on the society and it, it, it affected so many people uh, that it's really difficult in, the, in that terms to, to, to then jump into the discussion of, of how that affected our business positive. But uh, in this conversation, I, I still, obviously, I need to take that and, and, and we need to have a an understanding that that's exactly what happened. I mean, if, if, if someone before the pandemic had told me to come up with the scenario that solidified or put Dr. Dottesi in the, the, the pole position of, of scaling, and I wouldn't have been able to come up with pandemic uh, because that, that, that's how much that has done for the entire industry and what we're doing. And that's a, that's spot on to, uh, the functionality of meeting people in a different forum and being able to scale. And, and before the pandemic, a lot of my discussions within the market and scaling the company was all about the political risk. What happens if uh, we're not going to, if digital healthcare is not going to be a thing? That, that Today, I don't think that everyone ever think that we will not have digital healthcare within, within the next 10 years. And it probably will increase. Uh, but that wasn't the case before the pandemic. There was still a lot of discussions of, and uh, we, we we saw a lot of European countries that weren't even ready for digital healthcare. They didn't have digital prescription. They didn't have any any fee structure for digital healthcare and so forth. So the the, the change that we've seen over the last eight months been enormous in every way you look at it. And I guess for for you guys, I mean, being able to 
to ride that wave and being able to really adjust things and and and, and going with a really full mode scale mentality. I mean, how do you adjust? How do you listen to the market and to your employees and to your customers so that you get it right? I think that that's that's exactly what we did. I think we changed the mentality of what we did. As I said in the beginning, it was all about scaling a company. We wanted to be sustainable. We wanted it to be uh, unit economics wise. We 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 look on the financials on on another differently than I think a lot of our peers did. And they were more scaling a tech company and talking about high valuation and what they will do in 10 years time. But I think now when we're in pole position here in Europe and one of the companies that's scaling the quickest, we're the third largest uh, debatable if we're the third or the second largest in Europe. Uh, uh, we do have multiple platform uh, corporations around uh, in, in various different countries. We're going to scale that more. We're going to enter our own countries here in the next year. I think from now, the tonality in, in the company has changed dramatically. And it's all now about, once again, competing. And, and it feels like this huge market is changing right in front of our eyes. And we're in the position we're financed. We have the full organization. We, we, we treated over 800,000 patients We've done a lot of things that put us in a position that if we cannot say that we're going to win this race, who can say it? And that's that's the mentality that I tried to apply to the whole organization and kind of lean forward to that. that it's going to be a very, very interesting and enormously uh, uh, fun uh, race that we're going to see in the next couple of years. So talking about the future here, uh, and you know, imagine that you go to bed tonight, Martin, and, and you wake up five years later, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Doctor.ac is fully realized. What does that world look like? I think we're gonna we're gonna be uh, halfway there in five years' time because I think that we're gonna go we're gonna do this for many 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 years, and I think uh, in five years from now we're gonna be we're going to be solidified international company that's going to be in multiple uh, markets countries um, and and we we're really going to have a presence noticed in in so many different ways and we're also going to see a lot of verticals being approached and what i mean with vertical is that we do talk a lot about digital healthcare, but at the end of the day, and I think in five years' time from now, we're not going to talk so much about online, offline solution. We're just going to, once again, talk about healthcare. And we're going to have solutions out there that's going to be a, a variation of, of what you can do physically and what you can do digitally. And uh, I think that Dr. Dottesi is going to be forefront from, from that development, and we're going to be in forefront of... Uh, uh, having our brand name position into the market where people know who we are and they feel comfortable of that's the functionality that we want to use when we need healthcare. So, and pretty pretty amazing there, Martin. I mean, I think that uh, you guys are definitely you know riding you know a wave that uh, that is very much needed. But but imagine you know now that. That you know, this is a typical question that I ask the guests that come on the show. Imagine 
if now we give you the opportunity to go into the time machine and you go back and you have the opportunity to have a chat with your younger self, with that younger Martin that is coming out of of that switch from hockey into the business world and and really, you know, thinking about what's next and perhaps what kind of company to to start building. If you were able to have a chat with that younger Martin, knowing what you know now, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to yourself and why before launching a company? I would say, uh, I, w- I would tell me because I know my, my I'm, I know me as a person and what's good about me is what we talked about in the beginning. It's my drive and my ambition to, to keep uh, pushing myself. And I don't, I don't think I need to tell my younger self to do that higher or harder. I think the might be to some extent the opposite. I would tell my younger self to take a deep breath because sometimes we need to understand that even in diversity, that's the best thing that could happen. All my diversities in the in the past, all those times where I I was down on myself and I think things didn't go my way, and I I I almost as being as competitive as as I as I am and I as I was, it, it was really difficult sometimes to just to cope with that, and that that kind of stuns you and that makes you a little paralyzed in the progressions. And as I grow older, it almost triggers me when something hits me hard and I, it's a curveball or it's a diversity or something that, that, that comes out of the blue or something that we see coming. And I, I, I almost can, can start thinking that here's an opportunity. And, and I think that's obviously takes, uh, takes a lot, a lot of falling down and, and, and getting up on your feet. Till you can say that, and and it's not always applicable to me even in this these days. But I'm much stronger on doing that than I was when I was younger, and that that's what I would have told myself because then I would have felt momentum quicker. I would have aimed higher because I think that's key in in what we need to do. I think we need to feel that we're comfortable of racing the bar and not, not in the sense that if you're racing the bar, it's going to be a failure. If I'm not succeeding, just race the bar, try to aim for it. And if we don't just keep striving. Yeah. And that's very, very profound. Martin, I love it. So I guess for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, there's many ways. Uh, you, you can email me, uh, fairly easy, uh, address with Martin at, uh, doctor.se, uh, or LinkedIn. It's a, it's a good way. LinkedIn is a very good, good way to, uh, to get in contact. It's difficult to, to obviously answer everyone. And do you imagine it's a lot of inbound coming, but po- apologizing in, in <laughs> forehand to not, not, not replying to everyone, but reach out. Amazing. Well, Martin, well, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Perfect. Thank you. It was my, my pleasure. Thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.